0: Today we're going to talk about co-op game design. Hey everyone, welcome to the 46th episode of the Game Dev Field Guide. I am your host, Zachavelli. You can find me on Twitter at underscore Zachavelli underscore and tune in for the occasional game dev stream that's twitch.tv slash Zachavelli underscore. We also have an open community Discord for the Game Dev Field Guide community. There's an open invite link in the show notes. On our Discord server, we host Game Dev Challenge, we have the Monthly Game Jam, and lots of other channels dedicated to sharing information related to game dev. And yeah, it's a really good place for the beginner to intermediate and even expert game developer. I would encourage you to go join. Lastly, I want to mention that today's episode topic was picked by our patrons Every month, the patrons get to vote on a episode topic to do, and this was this month's winner. If you'd like to directly support the show, get a vote for the monthly episode topic and get other things too, like a special Discord role, and occasionally suggesting episode topics, I'll leave a link to the Patreon in the show notes. So with the intro done, let's move on over to the Game Dev Challenge. The Game Dev Challenge is the part of the show where I provide a prompt to the listeners and they respond on the community Discord with a post or a piece of art or whatever the challenge is for that episode. And then we vote on it in the community and I read the winner on the next episode. Last episode's Game Dev Challenge, that would be episode 45. The challenge was to take a game's health system and and change where it's at on the abstract simulation spectrum. Remember, last episode we talked about health systems, and sort of on the one end you have abstracted systems where you know you might just have like 100 health, and then on the other you have simulation systems where you are actually simulating the limbs and the blood and the organs and all that. And the winner of episode's 45 game dev challenge is Drake Dude. Drake Dude got creative and just invented a health system for a game where the player is a vampire, and I will read Drake Dude's submission. As you take damage, your vampire looks more and more like a vampire. The more you stand out among humans, the more difficult it is to get around unnoticed, which is a problem, and the fewer humans you could charm to help you. If you got too damaged, the sun would start to rise, prompting you to find a safe place to sleep. If you found a dark place or a coffin, you would wake up partially rejuvenated, i.e. half health. If you didn't, the sun would destroy you and you'd wake up in your last sleeping quarters at half health. Other than just sleeping, you could also gain health by taking your enemies to an inch of their life and feeding on them before you've killed them. If you landed a hit on your enemy after they were ready for your feeding, it would kill them. So you couldn't always feed on every enemy without developing skill. With this health system, as long as the transformation from human likeness to vampire likeness was visible, there would be no need for a health bar. Anyways, I thought of this health system while listening to episode 45. I hope it makes sense. I think it does make a lot of sense. In fact, it actually really tied it up with the last couple sentences there. The really cool part about this is using the human likeness to vampire likeness as a visible health bar. This is like a really cool piece of, I suppose you could call it diegetic UI or a more simulated health UI. Where you can see how close you are to losing, which if you'll remember, a health system is like a progress bar to the failure state. You can see how close you are with not only the sun rising, but also the likeness of your vampire, or how human they look. I think this is a super cool and unique idea. I'm not sure... I guess I haven't played a lot of vampire games. I'm not sure if one exists like this, where it has this mechanic of how you look is kind of how you're doing. But yeah, I think that's a really cool thought on health systems and especially sort of a diegetic simulated way to show the player how much health they have. So congrats to Drake Dude for winning the episode 45 Game Dev Challenge. For episode 46, I want you to talk about your favorite co-op game with respect to its co-op category, symmetry, Roles and emotions and these are going to be kind of the key factors that we're going to talk about today So you'll learn what each of those mean Later in the episode, but yeah, this is another one of those ones where you can really reinforce the ideas of the episode by Contextualizing it I guess in your own way relative to a game that you like or have a deep knowledge about so yeah I hope by participating you'll kind of cement the knowledge that you're about to learn I think the game dev challenge is a really really good way to kind of just take like 15 to 20 minutes and get incrementally better as a game designer or artist or whatever the game dev challenge category I guess is of the episode. I'd really encourage a lot of people to participate and episode 45 had a ton of people participate so I'm super excited about that. There was a lot of good posts in there and I'm looking forward to seeing more. With the game dev challenge out of the way, let's move on over to the body of the episode. Today's episode is about co-op game design, and I don't mean like working with another person to design a game. I mean designing games that are meant for two or more people to play together. There'll be a focus today on making games for multiple people where they cooperate together instead of competing And I wanted to point out that this is going to be more geared towards, like, classic couch co-op or low-player account co-op rather than co-op opportunities in an MMO, for instance. I think co-op is actually a really interesting area of game design, and one where I've only ever built prototypes and not fully realized an idea. But there's two reasons why I think co-op game design is interesting. The first is that it's totally different in most cases than single-player game design. I mean, sure, there's a little bit of overlap. In fact, depending on how you do it, it, there could be a lot of overlap. But I think in order to deeply do co-op right, you need to approach it from almost a different angle, or with new considerations, at least. And the second kind, and I think this is actually the core reason why I'm really interested by co-op game design, and it's really about why we make games. And part of that, for some of us, is that we like to bring emotion to our players, whether that be joy or sadness or whatever. Like any art form, it's meant to help you experience emotions. And co-op games are unique in that they can help facilitate emotions between two or more people via the interaction in the game. I think that's an extremely important thing to consider when designing your co-op. In the big picture, you'll want your game to facilitate emotions between people and usually in a co-op game these are friendly or joyful emotions and you save the conflicting or competitive emotions for PvP style games. So let's start with a fundamental idea of the three categories of co-op gameplay. And I actually learned this from Oliver Granlund in an interview on the Game Makers Toolkit YouTube channel. But Oliver is one of the game designers behind It Takes Two which is a co-op adventure game that actually won Game of the Year at the Game Awards, like, a few days ago. So, yeah, I would say that if you're really into making co-op games, It Takes Two is probably a required playthrough, and I'll be mentioning it a lot in this episode, and it's kind of the gold standard um, example. But anyways, in that interview, Oliver mentioned three categories of co-op gameplay, and this really made sense to me because you know I love to, like, categorize things. The three he mentioned are parallel co-op, step-by-step co-op, and simultaneous co-op. Let's start with parallel. Parallel co-op is sort of when each person is playing a single-player experience together. This is often seen in games that don't exclusively have co-op game design. The first thing that came to my mind was Halo. Ironically, the new Halo game doesn't have co-op right now, but in the older games, I have some really fond memories of doing the campaign co-op with like my brothers or friends. When you do co-op, it might include stronger or more enemies and open the door to like one person driving the warthog while the other shoots, but essentially Halo co-op is two people playing a shooter almost the same way they would play it alone. They're just doing it together. And I don't mean to make it sound like it's a bad thing or inferior to the other categories. Parallel co-op is actually nice because pretty much any game can benefit from it uh, for not that much more overhead. I think it's just a generally accepted thing that playing games with your friends is more fun. So at the least, if you could implement parallel co-op, it's just an easier way, I guess, to do co-op and get that extra bit of fun out of your game. And don't get me wrong, there will still be challenges adding it, both technically and from like a level design standpoint and game balance, um, but you won't have to re- design entire sections of the game. You'll just have to account for there being more than one person. These things you'll want to account for, uh, some examples might be like enemy balance, when there's more than one person, and maybe who controls the cutscenes or how cutscenes work when multiple people can trigger them. It's usually little considerations like that. Next, let's talk about step-by-step co-op. Step-by-step is the idea that the players take turns completing steps so that each player has a moment or responsibility. This is most often seen in co-op puzzle games. It's sort of like when uh, in a game you have to move that platform so I can jump on it and unlock the door so that the both of us can move on. Step-by-step co-op works good because it allows each player to have, like I said, a moment where they can help or contribute to the team. Sometimes it's not engaging for one player if the other is more skilled and just carries the team and you kind of feel like you're just along for the ride with the other player. In parallel co-op for instance if one player is vastly more skilled it can feel kinda like you're babysitting the other player and it can be demeaning for the underskilled player. Step-by-step step is a specific design that allows for each person to have a responsibility, and therefore fulfillment and purpose. This does of course come with the cons of you needing to design specifically for this scenario, and also we'll talk about the later problems of having a person being too low-skilled to achieve their purpose and the tension that that can bring between players. Lastly, we have simultaneous co-op. This is sort of like a blend between step-by-step and parallel. It has that each player has defined responsibilities of step-by-step, but you can carry out these responsibilities whenever, sort of like playing a single player together like in parallel. The best example I can think of is the Holy Trinity in RPG games. That would be tank, healer, and DPS. None of those things need to be done in a specific order, but the team is much better off if each person takes care of their responsibilities. Overall, I would say I prefer simultaneous co-op because I think it's a good compromise between the flexibility of parallel and the deeper and meaningful step-by-step. It can be difficult to balance with so much opportunity for cooperation and so many different kinds of responsibilities, it can be hard to plan for and balance all strategies that your player might come up with. And I said that simultaneous co-op is my favorite, but maybe that was an inaccurate thing to say. Really, when deciding which style to go for, you should decide which is best for your game. I think parallel works great for shooters, step-by-step for puzzle platformers, and simultaneous for RPGs. But you could use any combination you feel is right for your game. Interestingly enough, In It Takes Two, Oliver Granlin mentions that they used a variety of all three styles throughout the game. So if the gold standard can combine all three, there's no reason you can't too. So the next thing I want to talk about when it comes to co-op game design is symmetry and dynamic versus static roles. Let's start with symmetry. This is going to be a spectrum that has a lot of overlap with the previous idea of the categories, but I think it's going to be a helpful way of thinking about things when it comes to static versus dynamic roles. So let's talk about symmetry. A symmetrical co-op game is one where players both play the game in the same way. The parallel co-op idea from earlier would be an example of symmetrical co-op. Think about classic run-and-gun shooters like Contra or games like Castle Crashers. Adding another player doesn't really change anything, and both players play the game the same way. In other words, they play it symmetrically. Asymmetrical is when players have unique and defined roles. The best example I can think of for this is Super Mario Galaxy. You might not know this, but Super Mario Galaxy has a co-op mode. The co-op mode in Super Mario Galaxy, however, is extremely asymmetrical. When you turn on co-op mode, one player controls Mario, same as ever, and the other player points the Wiimote at the screen and is in control of a cursor. The person with the cursor can click on enemies to stun them or collect star bits on the screen and a few other low-impact things. This is interesting because it's asymmetric in a lot of ways. It's asymmetric in impact, like I said, the cursor person really is more of a helper than a player. They can't really even move the camera, and can't play the game without player 1 controlling Mario. It's also asymmetric in its skill requirement, which I think is actually by design. Like, this is the perfect form of co-op for an adult and a young child. The child can help the adult and contribute with pretty much zero risk and responsibility. I think it's interesting because it opens the door to co-op for more people with different roles. And really skill levels for that matter. It's friendly in providing opportunities to people who are maybe not the most efficient in their role. And I think it's really approachable game design, and I suppose I would expect nothing less from Nintendo. Speaking of roles, let's now talk about static and dynamic roles. A static role is when you're sort of locked in, and I can't really think of a better word than static. I suppose in other words, your role doesn't change. Dynamic roles are the opposite. One second you could be doing this for the team or your partner, and the next you're doing something else. Static roles, the ones where you don't change, are great for approachable games. This is because the player can focus on their one thing and don't have to learn a huge list of game mechanics. Static roles are purely asymmetric. Static roles are usually asymmetric. A good example would be a game like Rock Band. You can learn one instrument, and Rock Band is fun because you have your thing, your focus. If you like the drums in Rock Band, then you can just focus and play on the drums, and other people on your team can handle the other stuff. The problem with static roles is that they can be boring or lack depth. I think people naturally are curious about the other roles, and it's almost a grass is always greener type situation. And it doesn't really allow your team to cross over and help you, and you can have a situation where someone may just be waiting around for them to do their thing. This is where dynamic roles come in. Dynamic roles are where the game has defined roles, but the players can freely float in between them depending on the current team's needs. A game like Overcooked, where you play as a bunch of chefs in a hectic kitchen, is a good example of this. Someone has to prep the veggies, cook the meat, run the plate out, and wash the dishes. Every chef is capable of doing these tasks, and as a team, the players will evolve into different roles depending on the current needs of the team. You may start with one person saying, well, I'll prep the veggies, you cook the meat. And uh, you run the plates back and forth. But at the beginning, there won't be any plates to run, so maybe the person who runs the plates should help prep the veggies or help cook the meat. When the meat is cooking, maybe the cook could help run plates. I hope you can see how... Although there are defined roles for the game, the players are able to float in between them. Dynamic roles are awesome because they allow for your players to play both symmetrically and asymmetrically. They can have a focus on their thing while still helping the team with other tasks that can be done symmetrically. I don't think one style of role is objectively better than the other. And like always, I think it's just important to pick what's right for your game. And now that you understand the differences between symmetric, asymmetric, dynamic, and static, I hope you'll be able to do that. The last thing I want to talk about today is facilitating emotions in the co-op group. And Like I said at the beginning, this may be the most important thing to consider when designing co-op. In other words, we want to make sure our game design is creating the right kind of emotions between players. And by right kind, I just mean whatever you're going for, I suppose it's up to you to judge. For instance, you could be making a co-op game centered around friendship or romance. You could make one intended for a more comedic tone. You could be making a co-op game that's just about looking cool with your friends. The point is, you want to consider how the players will be transferring emotions. And if that's too nebulous or heady of a concept maybe I can explain it better with an example. I used to play a game on PS2 when I was a kid called NBA Street. Basically it's a more modern NBA jam with crazy dunks and shots and dribble moves but it did have co-op and one of the most satisfying things were throwing alley oops to your friends. It always resulted in what I call a high five moment it was impossible not to high-five your friends when you threw them a sweet alley-oop. It was two people working together to just make something cool happen on the screen. And I think the game designers knew that this was the emotional transfer they wanted to happen. They considered that they wanted to generate these high-five moments, and to do that they made sure that the alley-oops were simple, and that you had lots of opportunities to do them. When designing your game, you want to make sure that the co-op mechanics are resulting in the positive and targeted facilitation of emotions between players. And while I guess I'm maybe guessing that the NBA Street designers did this, I think they probably did this with intent. Here's an example of a negative instance. Maybe something you want to avoid. If you have a game with static roles and one of the players is just not as skilled as they should be for the role, your game may fall apart and it will be less enjoyable because it's inadvertently facilitating negative emotions. Like your partner or other players might get frustrated because the whole team cannot progress and it's due to your lack of skill in your static role. This would be an example where a dynamic role might be able to help because your teammates could come help you with your task. But if you're locked into static roles and they can't help you, then you might be facilitating negative emotions like resent and frustration. So as a game designer, I think it's really important to consider how your game should facilitate these emotions and how your game design technically achieves this. I've mentioned It Takes Two multiple times during this episode, and like I said, it's one of the best co-op games ever made, and it's the, I would consider, gold standard game for this episode. And of all the things it does right, I think it does the emotional facilitation part the best. Not only because it results in good moments between the players, but I think it's also extremely targeted. And I know it's targeted because it reflects the story. The story in It Takes Two is about a bickering couple with relationship issues and they get turned into toys and have to go on this um, adventure, I guess. The game design is constantly reflecting the emotional things associated with the bickering couple's story. A lot of the levels are about communication, sacrifice, compromise, knowing when to lead and when to follow, building trust. And it's not just a story that's being told to you, you're experiencing these emotions and learning these lessons about relationships in real time by playing the game with someone via the game design. There's even some competitive sections where you can sort of get even or have conflict with your partner, in the same way that the couple in the story's relationship has conflict. And I haven't mentioned it in a while, but long-time listeners will know that this aligns pretty well with my golden rule for game dev about evoking emotions with your game. And I think with co-op game design, you can evoke emotions between people in a way that no other art form can replicate. So I think you should use what you've learned today to make sure that you're evoking these emotions between players that are targeted and the ones you are going for. Because you're not just making a game that's fun to play or enjoying, you could be helping to make memories between two people. There was a lot of terminology in today's episode, so let's do just a quick recap today's episode was about co-op game design and it was focused on games where you cooperate with one or more players to achieve a common goal co-op game design is super interesting to me because like i said it allows you to facilitate emotions between players the gold standard game for this episode is it takes two which i think does this well remember the three categories of co-op game design we have Parallel co-op, where players are basically playing single player together. We have step-by-step co-op, where players take turns with responsibilities and tasks. And we have simultaneous co-op, where players have unique roles, but can do them simultaneously. I don't think one is necessarily better than the others, it just depends on what is right for your game. Parallel works good in shooters, step-by-step in puzzle platformers, simultaneous in RPGs. That's just my quick intuition and experience. You could probably make, for instance, parallel work good in RPGs or mix any of those up. We also talked about the difference between symmetric and asymmetric co-op. Remember, symmetric co-op overlaps and is sometimes the same as parallel co-op where both players play the game symmetrically. In other words, they have the same powers and interact with the game in the same way. Asymmetric is more when the players have unique roles in play asymmetrically. Remember that we also talked about the difference between static and dynamic roles. Static roles are when you're locked into one thing, and it's great for making your game approachable, but it does make the game a little bit shallow. Dynamic roles are when your players can dynamically change their roles depending on the team needs. And maybe it's a little bit harder for the player to learn dynamic roles, but it results in deeper gameplay. Lastly, we talked about the importance of facilitating emotions in co-op games. And remember that co-op games can make people share emotions in a way that no other art form can. So make sure you're leveraging that. And if you need good examples, go play the game it takes to. So yeah, I think that's going to do it. Remember, you can find me on Twitter at underscore Zachavelli underscore. Tune into an occasional game dev stream that's twitch- dot tv slash zachavelli underscore there's no underscore to start the twitch name they won't let you do it so there goes my uh common brand name i guess remember that there's an open invite link to the community discord you'll find that in the show notes with uh, lots of other stuff like the patreon link there's lots of good stuff in the show notes you should just go check it out anyways with that i think i'm gonna sign off I have been Zacavelli, and is playing games with your significant other a good idea or a bad idea?